You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. It's played up the middle. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the L.A. Kings. So the second group will start for the Kings as Kopitar's group just came off the ice. There's that shot. Go! Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. When it comes to a starting lineup, everybody loves the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare that the pros love, LA Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at getjackblack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-size intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25 in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination of the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at getjackblack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. Kings only played two games this week, so we're going to do a real quick King of the Week. Then we're going to bring you a conversation that Zach Dooley and I had with Bill Ranford. Then we've got the post-game conversation with Trevor Raybone from the last home game, that OT win against New Jersey from Friday night. All right, time for King of the Week. First up, we've got our honorable mention, and it's once again a member of the Ontario Reign. The Reign are now 9-0-0-1 and are just an absolute blast to watch. They went 3-for-3 this week, picking up wins against Henderson, Bakersfield, and Colorado. And Martin Furk has 10 points in those three games. That's four goals and six assists. So Martin Furk is our honorable mention. And I feel compelled to mention that we have a podcast covering the Ontario Rain for you guys called The Rain Check. Jared Shaffron and Josh Schaefer, the broadcast team for The Rain, new episodes out every second week. Interviews with players, front office members, updates on the team. You can subscribe at lakings.com slash podcast or anywhere you get your podcast. So go ahead and rain check it out. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Our runner-up to the King of the Week is Adrian Kempe. Two goals in two wins this week against St. Louis and New Jersey, plus a goal in the shootout against the Blues. And that means that our actual factual King of the Week this week is Arthur Kaliev. Two goals, both of them totally unsurprisingly on great shots. The game winner in the shootout against the Blues. This kid can shoot the puck. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. Obviously, we hope he keeps getting the puck on his stick and keeps firing it at the net because, my goodness gracious... Arthur Kaliev can shoot the puck. So, with two goals in two games for the first time ever, congratulations, Arthur Kaliev, this week's King of the Week. Okay, now, let's get to our conversation with Bill Ranford, where we talk all about the new forechecking system and some special team strategy, and of course, I'm just kidding, we talk all about goaltending. Joining us now, goalie coach for your LA Kings, Bill Ranford. Bill, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. And, of course, featuring Zach Dooley. How are you doing today, Zach? Jesse, all good. Thanks for having me on. Bill, I want to clarify something real quick, though. Has your title changed, or are you, in fact, just the goaltender coach for the LA Kings? Uh, Still the goalie coach. Um, Now head of the goalie department. So I don't know if it's really a title change. But um, my main role is the goalie coach. That's the way I look at it right now, anyways. All right. Uh, We're going to get into the finer points of that uh, goalie department in a little bit. But first, Bill, I want to sort of start this entire conversation off with a question that a a newer fan of hockey asked me. And I thought I knew the answer, but I found when I was trying to answer it, I didn't 
really have a good answer, so I'm going to pose it to you. And the question they asked was, they were feeling bad uh, for the quote-unquote backup goalie of the team at the time. And they were saying, well, why can't they just each play the same amount of time? And I didn't really have a great answer. So I'm curious from your perspective, is there a reason that in the future, in a theoretical situation, teams wouldn't want to split the time perfectly evenly between two goalies? Well, I mean, a lot of times it comes down to you have one goalie that's better than the other, and it's about winning hockey games. Um, you know, so that's where you get into the scenario where, you know, one guy's playing more to the other just due to the fact that, you know, you're trying to win hockey games and you want to put your best team on the ice, so you're going to play your quote-unquote number one goalie. Is there anything to the idea that a team um, can be built for a better goalie or, or that there's a better match between the style a team plays and the style a goalie plays? Um, I think that that could potentially come into play, but I think, you know, the way we work as a staff, you know, uh, especially Trent Yanni and myself, we're, we're trying to design, you know, what we do defensively to allow our goalies to be successful. And, um, you know, trying to limit the number of options in, in particular plays so that uh, it makes it an easier read for the goalies. So that's kind of our approach. So, I mean, you may get into scenarios where, you know, uh, if goal if you've got two particular goalies that play completely different, then, yeah, maybe some systems work better for others. Do you have any interaction? I mean, you, you obviously you just mentioned Trent Yanni, but, like, do you talk to defensemen? You know, do you try and, and give them tips on how to better how to best assist the goalie in certain situations? Oh, all the time. I mean, we're we're working as a as a unit. We kind of are, you know, whether you have six, seven, eight D men and two goalies, we're we're a group of ten. You know, we we have to work together. We've got to understand what the goalies are comfortable with. Um, you know, we'll talk about, you'll, you'll see sometimes in a game where a goalie will go to the bench and they're talking to the D, you know, there might be a situation that happened in the game that they weren't comfortable, either the D wasn't comfortable with or the goalie wasn't comfortable with. And, and you talk it out right there on the spot. And, and that's, that's, you know, kind of my job and, and Trent's job uh, in practice is um, making sure that we're on the same page. Is, is, are the principles of defense universal enough that when a when there's a coaching change you can pick up the conversation where it left off with the previous staff um you know when Trent Yanni came in for example did you and he have to compare philosophies strategies or or does everybody pretty much understand the, the generalities of playing defense and goaltending in the National Hockey League no I think it goes from staff to staff and um you know, I was fortunate that there wasn't a lot of changes um, from uh, Trent's, you know, philosophies to what, you know, John Stevens were for a number of years here where we were very successful. Um, so I've been I've been pretty fortunate that way. Um, you know, if there were are any discrepancies, uh, obviously we talk it out and then, you know, explain to the goalies why we might be, make a, be making a certain adjustment. Um, so that we're making sure that um, both groups are on the same page. But to, truthfully, with Jan's, uh, with Trent, there there hasn't really been uh, 
really many adjustments at all. We both kind of see it the same way, which, which makes it easier for the guys that have been here in the past. Well, you've been with the Kings now for a long time and your time here has spanned several different coaching staffs. Like we kind of just talked about there, you know, what have you learned over the years from the time when you started, you know, back in 06 to now that you've taken maybe from staffs that you've worked with in the past, from your time at the beginning to kind of where you're at now? Well, I mean, I, I guess I've, I've said, said it a bunch of times um, just in our conversation here is we've got to make sure that everybody's, you know, from the forwards to the D to the goalies are on the same page that we have structure in place um, in order to be successful. Because if, you know, for example, if we're handling a two on one into the corner and we're handling it three, four different ways, then your goalie's just guessing. But if we know that, you know, what we want our D to go handle, what we want our goalie to handle, um, that allows us to be much more successful in, in defending those plays. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, because I worked with John the, the longest, um, yeah, just making sure that there was structure in place, that everybody knew what their jobs were, and then it was about executing, you know, the particular job that you have to do in certain place. And then also having that, that ability, what we call a hockey play, where you just got to play hockey and, and, you know, use your your gift that you have and just make a hockey play. Bill, your job on, on the coaching staff is, is very different than anyone else's. If you look at maybe Todd or Marco or Trent, their groups of personnel are larger than yours, which I think makes your – specific role, a lot more relationship driven, you know, how much of your job is, is the technical side of being a goalie coach versus, you know, having those more personal relationships with Jonathan, with Cal, with whoever might come up. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's really kind of a touchy subject. I mean, you, I don't want to become a crutch. So um, you have to be really careful in how you build the relationships. I think it's more about trust. That, that the goal is understanding that I got their backs, you know, that I, that I can go to the coach if there's, you know, there, there might be a situation that they're not happy with and, or uncomfortable with. And you can, you know, they can use me as the middleman to uh, talk it out. And, um, but the biggest thing I work on is just, you know, the, the that trust factor that, you know, if the goalie says something to me, I'm not going to go running to the coach and say, you know, Jonathan said this there's, you know, there's a, a way of, of getting the message across. Um, and I think it's important, you know, the, can, it can, the goalie position can be a very lowly position. So it's just having that, that support mechanism and trust are the two things that you, you have to work on. Bill, this seems like a good time to bring up the goalie department because um, you're talking about trust. And I would imagine that now that the, now that you're building out the goalie department a little bit, at least that's my understanding of it. Um, not only do you have to build trust between the goalies, but I feel like you probably have to build trust between you and Matt Miller and anybody else in the department. And that trust has to sort of translate from the players to all the members of the coaching staff in that department. Is that, does that sound right? Yeah, no, for sure. You know, we, uh, obviously the, you know, the trickle down effect there, there's me at the top right now and Matty Miller, this, working development in the American Hockey League. And then we've just uh, added Adam Brown um, and Adam's uh, development and 
working with the guys in the East Coast League. So, you know, we spent most of the summer uh, putting together a manual, um, you know, going over philosophies. Um, obviously, when you bring somebody new on board, um, you know, you're, you're always looking for some new ideas and, and making sure that they're on the same page that, that Maddie and I are on. And, and so that, you know, we, the last thing you want to do when you, when you have, you know, three members of this, of this department is that you're all on different pages and, and that's not the, the way to, 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 you know, improve your goaltending. So, you know, we worked hard this summer to make sure that, um, you know, we we're on the same page as how we we're going to approach things, teach things, um, talk to the goalies, um, you know, set up trips so that, you know, we're showing some love to, to the different guys that are in our system. And, um, yeah, and, and just making sure that they're, uh, you know, we worked on, as Adam being a new member, you know, giving him the opportunity to try and build trust with, with, with the goalies in our system. So, um, we're, we're excited about it. We're, we're in the infant stages of it, but I'm, I'm excited about, uh, you know, continuing to move, move forward because I think, you know, one thing that we have done well here over the years is, is continue to develop, uh, goalies. Uh, unfortunate sometimes we've developed goalies for other teams, but, um, you know, you have to understand that as these young guys come up, they're, they, they become an asset and, and, uh, potential asset can improve your team um, either by playing for the team or using the asset to to trade for either another player or pick. So um, our job doesn't end with just, you know, working with the top two guys. To that end, Bill, um, there are a million things that make the goaltending position different from the other players in the National Hockey League, but one of them is just obviously there's fewer of them. Um, so your job probably affords you a more direct communication and a more personal relationship with the quote unquote prospects than a, you know, a head coach would with some of the guys in the development system. But I'm looking back over the, the history of the position for the LA Kings. And there was a season 2007, 2008, you guys had seven goalies, um, 2010, 2011, you have two goalies last year. You have, uh, three goalies to play games, but Maddie Valalta was up for a little bit. What's the what is? Is it more challenging when you have a season where you have seven guys in net for the LA Kings versus a season where you have two guys or three guys? Oh, for sure. I mean, if you're using seven goalies, things usually aren't going well, <laughs> right? You know, and that uh, you know you're you're having obviously injuries to key guys or guys haven't played well. So um, there's there's pros and cons to it. The, the 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 pros to it is is guys that you may not have thought were going to have an opportunity to uh, showcase themselves. And the cons are that if you're using seven, a lot of times things aren't going well. So, um, but you know it's all it's all about opportunity. So it gives uh, you know one of those seven guys uh, an opportunity to showcase himself and and prove to coaches or management that, that they can play, play in this league. So um, you got to take it for what it's worth. I mean, obviously that year wasn't much fun, but it, you know, you, you, it gave us an opportunity to, to look at, at different guys and see if they could play. There's a phrase that Todd McClellan has been using a lot, uh, at least in my mind recently. And he says the days of a goalie playing 72 games uh, are gone. Now, Jonathan Quick has played 
a 72 game season, but you also played a 71 game season and two seasons of 67. So, I mean, you've experienced um, personally as a player and as a coach, that sort of season. Um, do those days have to be gone? Like, is there a sweet spot in your mind for where you would want a number one goalie to start a, num- a certain number of games? Well, I think um, the one year I played 77, cause I played uh, went between Edmonton and, and, and um boston that year and that was the most i played in the season that 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 was there was a stretch where i think over five or six years i played more more games than anybody in the league and and you know there there's a fine line between that sweet spot and too much and (laughs) and um you know the year that i played 77 once i got traded to boston i played every game but but one because of the situation where we're battling for our lives to make playoffs and we got in with one game left kind of thing so um, I just think the um, physical, the condensed schedule, uh, it makes it tough for a guy to play that many games and still um, have enough fuel in the tank to, to make a long, long run. And, you know, Daryl always used to talk about it's a hundred, it's actually a hundred game schedule. Um, and so when you start approaching it that way, um, you got to make sure that the guy has juice in the tank when, when the important time comes around. Um, and I think just, uh, goalies are getting better. There, there's, you know, back in the day, you know, you only had one good one and the other guy was just, you know, you threw him in when you could. And, and I think, um, those days are changing where these, these young guys are developing at such a young age that, you know, now you're, instead of having, you know, just a couple of good goalies in your system, now teams are having three, four guys that can play in their system. And I think that's the biggest change. That would be really nice for you and, and for the Kings right now to have two guys who you are comfortable with, right? It's not like, oh, crap, we have to play the backup because the starter's gone seven games. You've got two guys who both probably have some claim to being a number one at this point who you can turn to without any hesitation, right? Yeah, I mean, the the biggest problem we've had it here in LA is that uh, Jonathan Quick is, has been a number one guy as long as he's been. And um, it's, it's been a luxury that we've had. And, and now you have, you know, Cal knocking on the door, but um, yeah, it's, we've been very fortunate to, you know, kudos to Quickie on, on being able to play that long and, and, and be that dominant guy for as long as he has been. So, you know, now we're in a situation where, you know, we've got two guys that, that, that uh, we feel comfortable we, we can go to. We talked with Cal the other day after the New Jersey game, and he gave a quote where he said, you know, when Quickie is playing well, it makes me better. And he hoped that, that Quickie felt the same way. Do you feel that, you know, among the goalies here, that when one of them is playing well, it's pushing the other guy to be better too, and that's maybe the healthiest form of competition you could have? Yeah, 100%. It's, it's, it's huge. I think when, you know, both guys are, are, are giving us good games, they, they, uh, even though they're friends and everything, teammates, they're, they're still both two competitive guys and, and they, they push each other to bring out the best. And that's not a bad thing to have happen. Bill, when it comes time to make the decision, uh, who's going to start a game or who's going to start a stretch of games, I'm assuming numbers aren't the, primary factor from the coaching staff, right? Like you don't look at save percentage over two games and make the decision based on that, right? 
no, there's a lot that comes into it. We, you know, we'll look at the uh, analytics head to head, um, how, how the guys are playing at that, that particular time of the year. Um, you know, what kind of schedule we have, uh, ahead of ourselves. There's lots of things that come into play. Um, sometimes there's just a gut feeling. Um, yeah, there, there's no exact equation for how it's going to happen. And, um, you know, Todd's, Todd's the head coach and Todd makes the decisions and, you know, we as a staff can make decisions, uh, you know, can make suggestions, but the bottom line is Todd, Todd's the head coach and he's, he's the guy that decides. The way people talk and think about statistics have changed a lot, especially over the last 10 years. Hard to know, you know, if that's the internet or social media, whatever it is, but goalie stats are at least public goalie stats, sort of traditional goalie stats are pretty limited. It's like wins, goals against, save percentage, and that's kind of it. Um, we've started to see conversations about like saves above it, you know, expected and whatever. But how much are those traditional public stats based on team performance versus individual performance? Well, I think all you got to do is look at the history of of goalie stats. Obviously, it's a uh, uh, a team stat, mm-hmm. um, you know, different teams play di- different systems. You know, you've got, you know, the traditional, um, you know, stay at home, um, New Jersey, old New Jersey devil style, try and win the game two, one versus, you know, the old Edmonton Oilers trying to win at nine, eight, you know, so 100%, um, you know, um, the, the team play is, is a big part of it. And, you know, who would you rather have in the net, Marty Bordeaux or Grant Fuhr in their heyday? And, it's you know, it's like a wash, but playing in two totally different systems. So it's uh, 100% that, that the, a big part of it has, has to do with the team in front of you. Um, if you've got a run-and-gun team that, that uh, you know, that can – Score six on any given night, you're not too worried about giving up a, a tough one. But if you play on a team that has to win two one every night and you give up a bad goal, there's a good chance you may not win. So the pressure, there's different pressures of playing for different teams. Different so what I took from what you just said there is that if uh, if you weren't on the Edmonton Oilers running guns teams, we might be seeing some incredibly low stats from you in your career. Had you been behind the trap? I think that's what you're getting at, right? Yeah, for sure. (laughs) But all you got to do is look at the difference in the Edmonton Oilers goalie stats from regular season to playoff. Bill, there's a lot of, um, at least sort of casually, there's a lot of comparisons between goalies and quarterbacks, goalies and, and catchers in baseball. Anytime there's a one position that, that is, you know, significantly different from the rest. Um, there's a phrase that I've heard used a lot, a, a systems quarterback. Um, every now and then a goalie comes along and, and gets accused of being a quote-unquote system goalie. Is there, is there such a thing as a systems goalie? Uh, I, I don't, I don't, I've never really heard of like a system goalie i mean there's you know if there's you know if you've got a goalie that uh doesn't necessarily move as well as others but is a good first shot 
Dave type goalie. Um, if they're going to play, if they play in a really structured system, they're going to be very, very successful. But a less structured system, maybe not so much. Whereas if you got a goalie that, that flies by the seat of his pants is a little bit all over the place, you know, he may not shine in a, in a um, structured setting because he's a little bit, his game is a little bit messy. You know, so it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a interesting question, a tough question, but um, I think if you've got a, a goalie that's a really good first save and he's playing on, on a structured team, he could have, uh, you could sometimes get fooled by the fact how much success he has. And then go, he then goes to a team, signs somewhere else on a less structured team and gets lit up. That makes sense. It does actually, yeah. Um, I'm gonna go completely other direction on you and ask you a weird question. When when the team is getting ready before practice, we always watch how the goalies get warmed up. And I'm wondering, how do you guys pick the shooter that you use to warm up the goalie? I'm guessing you don't pick the most errant shooter who might accidentally hit your goalie in the mask, but you probably don't want the worst shooter on the team either who doesn't get things going. How do you pick the profile of the guy that you want to warm up the goalies? Well, I'm not going to lie to you. It's been a struggle this year because I had, I had Trevor Lewis for like 10 straight years and he, <laughs> and he didn't have very many injuries. So, uh, and he liked doing it. It's hard to find guys that like to do it. So we're working on through. We, we thought we found a guy in Leas and then he got hurt again. So it's like, it's a, it's been a revolving door this year. Um, which is quite interesting, but you know, I, I try and find somebody that likes to do it. That's going to be around for a long time. Cause it just makes it easier for me. I just had one more, another random question before we yep. finish up here. You, um, you're an accomplished international goaltender from your playing days. You wore the, wore the Maple Leaf on your chest, um, one as a team and as an individual. Um, what was it like? to wear the USA on your chest when filming scenes for the movie Miracle. Was that tough for a Canadian to do? Was a little bit early on and then I, I got over it. But well one hundred percent. My I was I was a military brat. So yeah, it was it was uh it was tough the first couple of times throwing it on, but after that I didn't I didn't put too much thought into it. But that the initial stage of putting it on for sure, it was it was strange. Last one for me, Bill. Um, Quick and Cal used different hands for their catcher and and stick. Cal's was known as a full right goalie. Um, how much difference, if any, does that make in in the preparation, the coaching, uh, and the handling of the goalies? Um, none for us, as far as decision who's going to play or not. Um, just, uh, depending on some power play situations, as far as taking away the blue paint, um, different from one goalie to the next, that's about the only thing that, you know, if they're running it on running the power play off of cookies blocker side, we know it's going to be a lot easier him to take away the blue paint and vice versa. If it's on, they're running the power play from the opposite side, that's Cal strong blocker side. 
you know, we know that he's going to do a job of taking away blue paint. So that's the only thing, but it, I don't, it never comes into play as far as um, who's going to be in that particular night. Right. I actually lied. I have one more question and I'm just double checking Wikipedia here. Um, according to Wikipedia, you're the only goaltender in history to be awarded the MVP of the Stanley Cup playoffs, the Canada Cup slash World Cup, and the IIHF uh, Hockey World Championship. Is that true? Did you win the MVP of all of those? And are you aware of any other goaltender to have done it since? Nobody else has done it. I'm the only one that's done it. There you go. <laughs> Wikipedia comes through. Bill, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Not a problem, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right, that was Bill Ranford, and we thank him again for his time. Now, here's the conversation that Trevor Raybone and I had following the win over the Devils Friday night. And don't forget, subscribe to the Rain Check, lakings.com slash podcast. All right, we are here deep within the bowels of Staples Center. I used to say high above the ice, but we're not high above the ice. We're deep within the bowels of Staples Center. I'm here with Kings PA announcer Trevor Raybone. How are you doing tonight, Trevor? I'm good, Jesse. It's always uh, better to be here after a... A stressful win, but I'll take two points any way we can get them. They don't ask how. They ask how many, right? That's the cliche. Absolutely. Uh, I always thought your last name was Rabone or Rabone. Raybone. Raybone. Yep. It's like there's a Y, but there's not. It's I've, I've got I've got Rabone, Raboni, Rabonet. Yeah. But, I mean. You never corrected me. Eh, I've, I've just gotten it since elementary school, so sure. it doesn't really bug me. So let's talk about this game, Trev. Uh, from your perspective. I got a number of messages, texts, DMs, open tweets, uh, asking, this game is boring, right? Same same thing as Wednesday night, yeah. too. Uh, it, I mean, it just took a while to get going. I, a lot of guys just falling down. I, I don't know if there was a, an issue with the ice tonight, but it seemed like there was an inordinate amount of players going down uh, right along the both blue sides. lines. Yeah, yeah, both sides. Uh, we we were up to 12 on our counter down at the down at ice level at one point. Um, yeah, it just took a while to get going. It took a while to. It, I don't know if it's a if it's just a feeling them out kind of thing, but it seems like 40 minutes is a long time for a feeling out period in a game. It it got chippy and there was good energy, but it didn't seem like like anything really clicked for either side until we got to the third period, and then both teams ramp up the energy. The Kings have done this for, I mean, pretty much every game in this four-game win streak now. They come out in the third period with a, with their heads on fire, and they have a ton of energy going out there. So I, I agree with you. It was it was a it was a pretty slow uh, talking to Zach Dooley the other day. Low event game yeah. in the first two periods. Um, then re- really picked up with a vengeance there in the third. Yeah, which mi- mimicked again the St. Louis game. Um, I was. Happy. I don't know if that's really the right word, but early in the season, we talked to Jack Jablonski, and he and I expressed mild concern that the team was getting off to slow starts, that they would pick up play, but it would take till the second period, 10 minutes into the first period. That was not the case tonight, uh, which was nice, but a sloppy game. I don't know how much of that is, you know, last game of a homestand, getting ready to go, three game win streak. Like who knows? Yeah, um, and and how much you look into New Jersey's last game getting hammered right. by Anaheim too? How much you look into that? It, uh, they, it. I don't think it's been necessarily bad starts because they they've had the Kings have had their chances. It's it's not for a lack of of trying, but it seems like the first two periods aren't 
sustained pressure. It's one chance and back out, one chance and back out. Now, some of them are really good chances and they're getting the puck across the crease, finding the seams to pass through and, and really getting good opportunities, but not either just missing the net, not cashing in, great goalie save, what have you. And yeah, I don't think it's for, for lack of effort or energy or, you know, trying. It's just a little bad luck. Um, and then for some reason, this team just really opens it up in the third and they, they come out flying. It's, it's fun to watch. I mean, I wish they could do that for all 60 minutes, of course, but I mean, these third periods have been, they've been the most exciting Kings hockey I think I've seen in three, four years. Yeah. One of the takeaways for me is that the, there doesn't seem to be a roster wide consistent performance. I was going to say effort, but I don't want to imply. Right. Right. You know, effort, but, but right. not a, not a roster wide consistent performance. Like there hasn't been a night where all 20 dudes are on and mm-hmm. performing well. And yet, even in those nights where somebody's having a bad night or a line isn't clicking or, you know, for the last two games, they've been struggling to find a consistent line mate for Kopitar and Brown. Right. Even with that, we're still on a four game win streak. Yeah. And, and, you know, even like the, even Kupari's line tonight, and I know Todd shuffled the lines around right after the first and moved, uh, Athanasiu up. Yeah. Um, even Kupari's line didn't gen, didn't seem like they generated a ton of chances, but I really remember in the second period that Kupari had a grade A opportunity from the slot that, uh, that I couldn't see. I got screened either. It got saved or missed the net, but I'm, it, it's like I was saying, there's, it's not for lack of not for lack of chances. It's there are some lines every night that are giving you giving you their A plus performance. Like in this four game win streak, the Ayafalo Dano Kempe line's been incredible yeah. throughout the entire win streak. And except ironically tonight. Except ironically tonight. <laughs> yeah. Until the until overtime. Right, right. Until it matters. So yeah, Ayafalo four checks, Dano yeah. four checks, yeah. get a loose puck, and there you go. Um but yeah, it, it just seems like an it which line is going to be that line tonight, and I think they're they're going to need to keep experimenting a little bit, fi- figure out what's working. I mean, they need to get healthy too. They got they've got Arvidsson, Anderson, Velarde all on the shelf right now. Dowdy Walker, like they're they're missing a lot of guys. So, yeah. I mean, I that's going to be tough in and of itself. And that all the lines you came into training camp with are, have been completely blown up. So. So that's got to be that's got to be tough for him. But you know, there's there's one line it seems like every night that's going to give you that A plus like game. And I I don't want to say that's a bad thing. I think that's a great thing that there is at least one line that's going to give you that A plus performance. They're going to be in there every shift. They're out there. We just need to we just need to see those kind of performances elevate from the other three lines and the defensive pairings. Everybody come together and kind of match that intensity and energy that they have in the third period across all 60 minutes and across all really 15 other guys. Yeah. I don't want to say two steps forward, one step back, because that's too wide a margin for steps back. I want to say like 27 steps forward, um, 26 steps. I know that's the, you know what I mean? Like they, they're playing well. They do everything you'd want. Like, the game against St. Louis and now again this game. Yep. You 
grind out 40 minutes, then you let it fly, you take a lead in the third period, and you give it up yeah. with a minute left. And last year, that would have been cause for two losses. This yeah. year, it winds up being two wins. And so you go like, okay, that's great. But you can't, you cannot. It, it's you cannot, a warning sign. Yeah, right? like you cannot ignore the fact that they gave up two goals with it's, a minute left in both It's games. a warning sign, and it's something that happened last year. Look at those Minnesota games. Mm-hmm. How many times they do that to Minnesota when, I mean, however many times they played them. Yeah. Um, it's definitely something that is, I'm sure will be addressed. It's, I, it's not something that we're the only people seeing. Right. I'm sure, I'm sure Coach McClellan and Yanni and, and all them are, are going to address this. It's, it's so interesting because really the, I mean, the game against St. Louis was a scramble and, uh, and Tory Krug just throws one at the net off the post and in. And then this one was, it was an incredible shot from, uh, from Pavel Zaka, um, who just put it through traffic. Yeah. Peterson never saw it. Uh, it was, I mean, he placed it perfectly, probably could have cut down the time and space for him and not let him walk in a bit high circle there. But, you know, it, it's one of those things you kind of think, you know, it, maybe it is what it is, right? It's, you you give up a lead, but you figure out a way to not let that deflate your team, and that's been something that's been sorely missing from the Kings for two or three years now during this rebuild is, you know, something goes wrong, it has that snowball effect, and you see it just kind of permeate throughout the entire team, and then all of a sudden you look up and they've just scored three on you, and you don't know where that even came from. So it's nice to see that they're they're just wiping it clean from their mind and battling back immediately. I mean, and I mean, it's, it could be, it could be just fortuitous that those goals happen right at the end, right at the end of the period. So they have that couple of minutes, get the ice scraped, they clear their mind and kind of reset, get back to it instead of having to go right back out there in a high leverage situation and defend again. There've been a couple moments where the Kings got scored on where I don't want to make it sound like an excuse, but I think it's just one of those things where it's like, well, that's what that is what happens when you have a lot of young guys on your team. They make mistakes and they get scored on. Like, this is not a direct comparison, but I can remember early in Sean O'Donnell's career when I was a young, impressionable fan and there was no internet to learn, you know, learn more about hockey, and I would just go, oh, this guy's a bum. Like he's giving up goals. Like he's on the ice for these terrible goals and. And over the length of his career, you find out what a good defenseman Sean O'Donnell is. But in that moment, early in his career, you go, and I'm just doing that because that's the one that sticks out of my head. Because when he came back, you know, whatever, 20 years later and was a mentor for Drew Doughty, you're like, oh my God, this guy's incredible. Um, I see that a lot in Bjornfoot and Anderson. And they're like, Bjornfoot, we were talking about it in the press box tonight, me and Dooley, like, he's 20. Yeah. He's not even 21. Like, he's 20 years old and he's playing basically top pair minutes with another kid, you know, Anderson's 22, I think, yep. um, who's playing his offside. And yeah. they're being thrown into a position that they shouldn't be in because Drew Doughty's injured. And they're, you know, tonight was the first even strength goal they've been on the ice for in five games. Yeah, um, I mean, you you look at, you look, you hit it right on the head. You, you have Bjornfoot and Anderson, they were the top pairing uh, just over 20 minutes each. Matt Roy led the team with 22-38. And, but then you, you kind of look at that. These two young guys, and, and Matt Roy, still young. Like, he's, he, 
he's not Alexander Edler veteran status, right. but they're all playing over 20 minutes, and you have Edler at 14:38 here. So they're asking these young guys to jump in, and you know we're going to toss you into the deep end of the pool. Like it's Dowdy's out, Walker's out. You, it's sink or swim, and you know they're holding their own. They yeah, they're going to make those mistakes. It's like you said though, with like with Sean O'Donnell, they're young. They're yeah. these are things are going to happen. It's part of the learning curve. You're going to see them learn from these mistakes, and you hope that it doesn't that it doesn't hurt their game later, right? You you hope that all of a sudden they, they learn from this, they recognize the situation, oh, this is something that happened to me before. Okay, I need to react a little bit different here, watch film, figure it all out. And it's it's going to come together. You see it already with, with Bjornfoot and Anderson, especially with, with Toby. He's, yeah. To me, Toby's been tremendous. Yeah. Uh, really, for most of the season. He's, there's been a couple outlier games, but he's... He's been fantastic. He's holding the fort. And, I mean, for for coming into this season, what you were hoping for is that, is exactly that, that Toby and Mikey would hold the fort. They wouldn't cause, they wouldn't cause those, uh, those big mistakes that'll really kill you over the course of the season. And they'll be able to, little by little, grow and grow and grow into these roles. And now that they're being thrown into basically top line minutes it they're flourishing now that they're getting to play more and we sort of hit this note uh on the show a few times which is you know in tonight's game if you score a third goal in regulation we're not talking about either of those things if they score the empty net against st louis we're not talking about either of these things right like buffalo they win three to two well buffalo scored two goals why are we not freaking out about the two goals buffalo scored but we will freak and to be clear, I will freak out when they score. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. Like, I'll do it. But Montreal scored two goals. Buffalo scored two goals. St. Louis scored two goals. New Jersey just scored two goals. The difference is in against Montreal, the Kings scored five. And against Buffalo, they scored three. And, you know, it's when they happen as a setting. It's all that. Anyway, we're going to jump into play of the game, player of the game. So we're going to start with the play of the game, Trev. For what for you was the play of the game? Well, you got to go with the game winner, right? It's Dano and I follow four checking in overtime. It's it's a risky situation, right? Like if you four check and you don't come up with it, you leave you leave yourself exposed on the other end to a two on one. So being able to for those two to get in there and get on the puck, cause a little chaos, cause a couple of turnovers there, and Dano finds the puck behind the net, and I follow sitting right there in the slot. That's that's almost is much of a dunk as you'll get in this league with being that wide open from, from a pass behind the net. Um, it's, it's that it's them for me. It's the four checking. That's, that's been a huge difference maker in getting the energy back for the Kings in this entire, in this entire winning streak. And, you know, it's, it's, I don't want to compare it to 2012 right now because it, that 2012 team four checked like crazy in the playoffs. That that was that was something I've never seen before. The amount of forechecking that that team did. Yeah. But you you see little glimpses of this this team's getting at it. Brendan Lemieux is in there forechecking a ton. But I mean, I digress. The the play of the game was was Dano and I follow forechecking to get the winner. So you're probably right. But I'm going to go with Adrian Kempe just to have something else to talk about. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> And part of the reason I'm going to do it is because it was right at the, like, literally two seconds left in the second period. 
And, you know, it's a cliche, but anytime you can score in the first minute or the, or the last minute of a period, right, it throws the other team off. It's bad, yeah. bad for them, et cetera. And, and I think Kempe did not have his strongest game tonight. And so for him to find a way to contribute on the scoreboard, I thought was important. And points in three games, goals in two, in two straight. Um, gets Just a goal go on that net. line. Yeah, on that yeah. line with Kobatar and Brown. So I'm going to say, Kempe, let's do player of the game. Trev, who for you is the player of the game? My, I'd say my player, this, this may be a, an off the board pick, but my player of the game was Brendan Lemieux. <laughs> it's, what I was going to say. <laughs> it, he, when, when he's been in the lineup, uh, he's been able to, to really be exactly what the Kings expect him to be. That guy that will bring the energy, that will light that little fire, that spark. He's doing all those little things. He's forechecking. I mean, he's been he's been an animal out there. It's it's been really fun to watch to watch him play when he gets out there because he flies around the ice. He's looking for someone to hit. He's looking to bring bring a spark to that team. He's been fun, and I I thought he was my player of the game. I don't know if you'll be able to hear us over the vacuum, but uh, obviously I knew I was going to ask this question, and in the back of my mind I thought, "Who can I say Lemieux?" So I started looking up minutes, and of course Lemieux plays the fewest minutes of anybody in the ice. And I thought, as you were talking, I had this little internal monologue of like, can I really call the guy who played the fewest minutes the player of the game? But I agree with you 100%. Yeah, does, does minutes measure the impact that the player has in the game? Like, I and, and, and it wasn't a situation where he wasn't, uh, where like his line was getting, you know, pushed around, but right. he was being chippy. Like, right. that line was arguably, I don't know, best, maybe too strong a word, but like they can, I mean, Lemieux, Lazat, and Athanasio specifically, uh, seven attempts for zero against. Now, Lazat, Kaliev, and Lemieux, Kaliev did not have a particularly strong night, so that combination didn't work great, but Lazat, Lemieux, and Athanasio, in the, in the few minutes that they were out there, it was only two minutes and 16, and I've had even strength, but like right. I said, seven chances for no, none against, controlled, you know, the expected goals, all that. Yeah. Um, and, and I thought the Subban hit on Lazat was perfectly clean. Yeah. Um, but every now and then there are moments where you do want somebody to go sick. <laughs> and, yes. and frankly, there was a moment later in the game where Kopitar and Brown were mobbed by the entire New Jersey Devils team. Yep. And there was part of me that was like, why isn't somebody not flying in with a haymaker from the side? Yeah. It's Brown and Copet. Like, if there's yeah. anybody on the team that yep. can't be swarmed by three dudes, it's, it's those two. Um, and yeah, and that was Lemieux. And you saw him, you know, there was a point, I don't remember which two Devils it were, but they, he said something and drove them both nuts. Yeah, um, it was Ryan Graves was one of them. Yeah, Graves was one of them, and then he he tried to go with um, I think it was uh, Mason Gertson okay. who tried to go with as they were floating back into the Kings' defensive end, and Lemieux lost one glove. I thought they were going to drop him right there, mm-hmm. and then they didn't end up going. But he, you know that that's his game. He get get in your head, get you off your game. Bring bring that little fire to the rest of your roster and be that guy that you really don't want to play against because he's a pain, right? Yeah. Somebody so, tweeted at me, not a coincidence that the Kings have won four in a row since Lemieux came back. You and I were talking in the office saying, you know, does does this team actually 
miss Lemieux and Leas Anderson <laughs> right. more than we think. Like because when they when Leas Anderson was out there in the first couple of games and in the preseason, he I mean him and Velarde had chemistry like crazy with Kachev. So all of a sudden you you lose those guys that had a lot of had a lot of chemistry mm-hmm. um, and you drop them out of the lineup. Same thing with Lemieux. He he scored uh, he scored a pretty nice greasy goal against Vegas in that Salt Lake City game, and all of a sudden you're thinking, "Hey, this is this this could be found money here this season if if he's contributing like this." And yeah. you know, you just you you feel like you keep seeing it from yeah. from from Lemieux every game he's in. He's he's that wild card. If he's if he's on his game and he's being a pest, then you know that's. That's been good, positive for the Kings. Yeah, there's there's a, a long list of words that fit under the category of intangibles, right? And it mm-hmm. drives people nuts when you talk about them. But one of the things that I don't think can possibly be questioned is that, and I, there's not a word for it, so I'm just going to throw out a word salad and I hope people will understand what I mean. Um, identity, culture, spirit, whatever it is, right? Like that matters, right? We heard yeah. from Phil Deneau when he came over this year, he said with the right, with the right, what did he say? With the right will, you can beat anyone. I think will beat skill, right? That's mm-hmm. a phrase that I've loved for years. And you saw it particularly on the 2012 team, right? Like yeah. they outwilled teams. Yep. They didn't lose their composure. They wanted it more, whatever you want to call it. Now, the problem with that is, and I've fought with certain city officials about this in the past, it's really easy to start going, oh, well, they have a winning culture. And then not think about it anymore. But culture, identity, whatever, all that stuff is not something, it's not a monument that you build and walk away from and it never erodes. Like, you have to build it every day. And what I think we're seeing now is over the last three years, they, the old culture, which was great when it was great, became stale, for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. Um, Right? It wasn't being built every day. I think there was a lot of oh, well, we have this identity, so that's what it is. Right. And you see all these guys traded away to different teams, and they begin to be more productive or at least be a part of better records. Yep. And it's because they're, they, they are swept up in that team's identity, but for whatever reason, the collection of those personalities had, had stopped being effective in that. Right, like culture is great when it's working, but mm-hmm. once it stops working, then you need, you need to change it, as good as it may have been at one point. Yep. And so now we're starting to see whether it's Anderson, whether it's Ifollo, whether it's Matt Roy, whether it's Lemieux, Lazat, like Bjorn, like we are starting to see a new culture being built. And to our point earlier about the guys being young, the culture is young and there are going to be growing pains. And I think it's, it might cause a little bit of like cognitive dissonance because you see Jonathan Quick and Dustin yeah. Brown and Andre Kopitar. And even though it's a tiny handful of guys that are left, you're still thinking like, oh, uh, you know, you hear it from the coaching staff and the media field, but it's like, these guys know how to win. And it's like, sure, yeah. those guys. But the other <laughs> the other 17 right. dudes on the roster weren't yeah. here for that. Yeah. Um, and you can see it, you know, when they when they win the game and you can see Lemieux's reaction to Kopitar double-doinking on the post, yeah. right? He's crestfallen. And, and you know, you, so, so it's just really fascinating to watch a new, like a literal new locker room identity sort of growing and evolving. And how re-energized are guys? I mean, Kopitar has been the most, he's been steady Eddie, the most consistent guy throughout his entire career. But how re-energized have guys like Dustin Brown and Jonathan Quick looked early on this season? 
Brown's flying around like he like he did early on in his career when he, he wanted to hit guys and he wanted to be that guy that caused havoc. Still pot his fair share of goals, yeah. but wanted to wanted to create a little bit of chaos. And then you see Quick after the shootout last night gave two like yeah, they were small fist pumps. Right. <laughs> but that's probably the most animated yeah. we've seen him in four or five years. So so I mean they're they're playing well. You're you're getting the performances from the veterans that you would expect. Now you would want Dustin Brown to probably score a little bit more, right? Um, Quick is giving you more than you could probably hope for right now, or what what you're expecting. You, I mean, I think everybody looking at this team is expecting. You know, this is going to be the season for Cal Peterson to take the mantle and and run. But has that fired up Jonathan Quick that all of a sudden yeah. you know what I, he's coming for my job so I I need to I need to be on my game and and he has been he's I mean his his numbers don't lie he's over 900 save percentage like for the season yeah he only has the like he doesn't have the number of wins but I mean it's that's starting to grow and his his underlying numbers have been really good. Um, so it's it's a real interesting thing that these these young guys are coming in. They're pushing for these roster spots. It's what I mean. It's what the front office and Rob Blake and Todd McClellan talked about um, last year, the year before coming into this season. You know, we're we're going to start getting we're going to start getting young guys coming in and pushing for roster spots. And if if they're going to push you out, then they push you out. That's yeah. the NHL. You earn a spot, you earn a spot. Doesn't matter who you are. If if they come in and show that they're more valuable, then they're going to play. Yeah. So my, my biggest takeaway, I think, from this game and the four game winning streak is like, if you wanted to, you could make a pros and cons list of everything that's working and everything's not not working for this team. And just looking at it like that, if you said to me, "There's more." problems than there are solutions i might shrug and go okay like i hear you injuries penalty kills not working they're giving up late goal like yeah okay there's we don't know who's on the top line like yeah you can make a list mm-hmm. but <laughs> i would just point to the four wins in a row and go like they're finding ways to win and it's going to be a long season they've got injuries yeah but like i said we're watching this culture be built we're watching these guys take spots and uh I don't know. I'm not worried about it. Uh, even even acknowledging that they're that it is not a perfect team. Yeah. I'm not. I don't you're, know. I'm not worried. They're they're gonna take their lumps, right? Yeah. We, we we all know that. We all. I think the level-minded observer would say that this this team was coming in as a fringe playoff team coming into the season. They got They really got to fight. They got to have some things maybe go their way, or you know, have really get some good performances from these young guys. Now they have a bunch of injuries, but it's what you said. It's they're finding ways to win. And the Kings teams of the last two years, these games where they would make the mistakes, right. those teams would almost find a way to lose, right? Right. Maybe not in that in that way, not finding a way to lose, but um but they would they'd cause those mistakes and they'd they'd just kill you. So this team, it's... I want to I want to tweak, a minor tweak to what you just said about yeah. finding ways, what we both said about finding right. ways to win. Because they're finding ways to win after finding ways to lose. 
And that to me is the sort mm-hmm. of, is the sort of fascinating mm-hmm. part of it, right? It's like, yeah. Had they lost tonight or lost on Wednesday, you could go like, oh, geez, they're finding ways to lose. Sure. Right. But they didn't. Sure. <laughs> so. And, you know, know, really, really five on five for this team, like, I haven't, I haven't do- really dove into the numbers. I'm sure, I'm sure you have, but five on five, this team doesn't feel like they're defensively playing very no. bad at all. No. They're not getting hemmed into their zone that too long. Um, St. Louis had a couple of good shifts. New Jersey had a couple of good shifts there in the first period, but after that, I don't, I can't remember real sustained pressure in the King's End for, um, for the last two periods, um, other than the the empty net goal there at the end. Um, but they they're they're playing very solidly. Like it's right. You're right that it's not a like it's not an elite performance by any means, but they're doing enough and you know as you're as you're figuring out and learning how to win as a young team if you can learn how to do enough and then add on to that little bit little bit over the season add on some more then all of a sudden you're going to be in a pretty good place so in their last eight games just pulling this up randomly uh actually no i'm not even going to do that because i pulled it up wrong so i can't uh, oh no i can look it up sorry i take it back Last eight games at even strength, 52% Corsi, 56% goals for, uh, 50.55 expected goals for. So, I mean, like, yeah, five on five, they're doing okay. It's just yeah. special teams. So, and it's and it's one of those things where it's like, it's the timing of it, mm-hmm. right? Like, t- tonight and last night, it's like, they're great. Yeah. And then they fall apart in that last crucial minute, and... If this was a like if this was a cup contending team, if this was Toronto and they were giving up goals like this, yeah, people would be losing their their, their ever loving pitchforks and torches <laughs> yeah. in the streets of Toronto. Yeah, yes. and so I understand the impulse of fans to be like, ah, you know, bums, whatever, you can't yeah. do that. And I like, yeah, you're right, you can't yeah. do that. But but this is the time that you can when you're sure. building that identity. Sure, yeah, they they score that goal and at least in my mind, I was thinking, geez, again, yeah, right. But, <laughs> So, so then, then going into it, just, just with a, with a clear head going into overtime, they've, and something they didn't do last year, which I think really, really hurt them in the overtime games they lost last year. They didn't, they didn't win the opening faceoff. They didn't have a lot of possession in these last two overtime games. They had a ton of possession. They got the opening faceoff. They started with the puck, which we had there were a couple of games last year that the Kings never touched the puck in overtime and they lost. So that in and of itself, if I mean if you don't touch the puck, yeah. then that's gonna be that's gonna be tough for you. Finding ways to win after finding ways to yeah, lose. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, Trev, we're gonna wrap it up. Uh, the team goes on the road for four games through Canada. So we will not be doing post games at Staples. I don't know. We might experiment with Twitter a little bit. So Kings fans there's some Stay winnable tuned. games there. That's right. That's winnable right. games on that trip. And uh, and we'll be back soon. Thanks for listening.